Welcome to episode 80 of Girl Take the Lead, where each week we explore womanhood and leadership. And I'm your host, Yo Canny. When Susan Kane, author of Bittersweet and Quiet, which we featured in episodes 23 through 25 and 35 through 37, says that the book, Emotional Agility, Get Unstuck, Embrace Change, and Thrive in Work, Life, by Susan David, PhD, is, quote, essential reading. I knew I needed to check it out. And when Daniel Goleman, author of Emotional Intelligence, featured in our episodes 76 and 77, says, quote, helpful to anyone, that's all I needed. I'm ready. Let's go. Susan David is a psychologist on the faculty of Harvard Medical School, co-founder and co-director of the Institute of Coaching at McLean Hospital, CEO of Evidence-Based Psychology, a boutique business consultancy. She's worked with senior leadership in hundreds of major organizations, including the United Nations, and published in Harvard Business Review, Time, Fast Company, and Wall Street Journal. I'll have in the show notes where you can sign up for her free newsletter and learn more about her. Remember to listen to the very end. It's where I capture the three takeaways and what's coming up next. Enjoy the listen. I really enjoyed this book. Let's start by looking at how Susan David defines emotional agility. She first looks at the emotional part of emotional agility, which is about becoming more aware of our emotions, learning to accept them and make peace with them. The agility part addresses our thinking and behavior as well. Those habits of mind and body that can also prevent us from flourishing. And she states that research shows that emotional rigidity, which is getting hooked by thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that don't serve us, is associated with a large range of ills. Meanwhile, emotional agility is about being flexible with our thoughts and feelings so that we can respond optimally to everyday situations and is key to our well-being and success. It allows us to be in the moment, changing or maintaining our behaviors to live in a way that's aligned with our intentions and values. Yay! We like that. It's all about loosening up, calming down, and living with more intention. And as she says, between stimulus and response, there is space. In that space, it's our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. By opening up that space between how we feel and what we do with those feelings, emotional agility has been shown to help people with any number of troubles. I especially loved when she said, quote, Meanwhile, our consumer culture promotes the idea that we can control and fix most of the things bothering us and that we should toss or replace the things we can't. Unhappy in a relationship? Find another. Not productive enough? There's an app for that. When we don't like what's going on in our inner world, we apply the same mindset. We go shopping, 
we go get a new therapist or resolve to fix our one unhappiness and dissatisfaction and simply think positive, end quote. For me, if I had emotions I didn't like, like sadness or shame, I'd eat something sweet. And if I was in overwhelm or angry, I'd eat something deep fried. (laughs) I know, go figure. It was how I kept going, though, trying to make everyone happy. I think I'm not supposed to have these emotions. Why can't I think more positively? David says that trying to impose happy thoughts is extremely difficult, if not impossible, because few people can turn off negative thoughts and replace them with more pleasant ones. And there's something interesting she offers an essential truth. Our so-called negative emotions are often actually working in our favor. And in fact, negativity is normal. A fundamental fact that we're wired to feel negative at times. It's simply part of the human condition. So good to know. David unfolds emotional agility in four essential movements. One, showing up. Two, stepping out. Three, walking our why. And four, moving on. So let's look at number one, showing up. I was reminded while reading this section of the book, the episode we did with Andrea Main DeWitt, uh, Name, Claim, and Reframe, which was episode 48. Because David also says that decades of research shows that our life satisfaction in the face of inevitable worries, regrets, and sad experience depends not so much on how many of these things we experience, or even their intensity, but on the way we deal with them. When we show up fully with awareness and acceptance, even the worst demons usually back down. Simply by facing up to the scary things and giving them a name, we often strip them of their power. We end the tug of war by dropping the rope. Isn't that a great image? I loved it. She also offers us this. When we show up to these emotions compassionately, with curiosity and with acceptance, no failures, regrets, or bad hairstyles turned away. So this is where self-compassion works in. Recognizing we had to play the hand we were dealt is often the first step toward showing yourself more warmth, kindness, and forgiveness. We all did the best we could, and it couldn't have been any different. Another thing she said here about compassion was that compassion gives us the freedom to redefine ourselves, as well as the all-important freedom to fail which contains within it the freedom to take the risks that allow us to be truly creative. And who wouldn't love that? Let's look at number two, stepping out, the next step in gaining agility. She provides a way to do this is through writing, which can improve physical and mental well-being. 
She says, in the process of writing, we are able to create the distance between the thinker and the thought, the feeler and the feeling. And that allows us to gain a new perspective, get unhooked, and move forward. And I can see how that would be. I love getting something out of my head and on paper. It allows me to be a new observer rather than just spinning something in my head. I can see things from a different perspective, which is stepping out, creating a gap between the stimulus and response. Plus, we recover a bit of our humanity. It's this space that allows us to be sensitive to the context, to shift our actions to what will work in the here and now, rather than being driven by mindless impulses. Oh boy. (laughs) We should probably highlight that one. (laughs) I'm going to say it one more time. (laughs) It's this space that allows us to be sensitive to the context, to shift our actions to what will work in the here and now, rather than being driven by mindless impulses. Oh gosh, you're speaking to the choir about mindless impulses. I can jump to something so quickly and take something on and really writing, breathing, doing a little meditation definitely is needed. So she offers six techniques for stepping out. One, think process. So if you have absolute states like, I'm fat, it draws us into old stories and they're just stories, not our destiny. Two, get contradictory. Like loving and loathing our bodies at the same time. This improves our tolerance for uncertainty. Three, have a laugh. Often I find myself so funny trying to get different results by doing the same thing over and over. I can hear myself saying, Oh, Yolanda, <laughs> how about you? Aren't, are you the funniest person sometimes in the room? Four, change our point of view or our perspective. Five, Call out the thought and emotion for what it is anytime you get hooked. An emotion, as my husband Steve will say, they pass. Six, talk to yourself in the third person like LeBron James, who's excellent at this. When he went to the Miami Heat from the Cleveland Cavaliers, he said, quote, One thing I didn't want to do was make an emotional decision. I wanted to do what's best for LeBron James and to do what makes LeBron James happy. I'm cool with that, LeBron. Good for you. Now the big number three, walking your why, and that's W-H-Y, which she says is the art of living by your own personal set of values the beliefs and behaviors that we hold dear and that give us meaning and satisfaction. Identifying and acting on the values that truly are ours, not those imposed on us by others, not what we think we should care about, but what we genuinely do care about. 
is the crucial next step of fostering emotional agility. So my thought here is that this is not always easy to do and involves a lot of detangling and a lot of writing and asking ourselves, so where did that come from? Are those people even living? Here's what she says. I see values not as rules that are supposed to govern us, but as qualities of purposeful action that we can bring to many aspects of life. Values aren't universal. What's right for one person may well not be right for someone else. But identifying what matters to us, whether that's a career success, creativity, close relationships, honesty, altruism, there is an almost infinite list to choose from. And these give us a priceless source of continuity. Values serve as a psychological keel to keep us steady. Ooh, and listen to this. She says, when we make choices based on what we know to be true for ourselves, rather than being led by others telling us what is right or wrong, important or cool, we have the power to face almost any circumstance in a constructive way. Rather than being caught up in pretending or social comparison, we can stride forward with confidence. Oh, yeah. She goes on to say, determining what we truly care about is only half the process of walking your why. We need to take courageous action. And she says there's bound to be conflicts. An example she gives is creating work-life balance. It can be a constant tug between working and spending time with our families. So here's some examples. If we say, I value being a loving parent, I will bring that love to my interactions with my kids, and I value being a productive worker, I will bring that productivity to my desk every day. That is very different, she says, from saying, I value being a loving parent, so I will leave the office at five every day regardless. This brings an expansion of what is possible in our life because we haven't separated the two. I think that makes a lot of sense. Now for number four, the last essential movement, which is moving on. Here she talks about tweaking our motivations by engaging our autonomy the power of wanting to do something rather than having to. Like, I need to lose 10 pounds rather than I want to lose 10 pounds. Want to goals reflects a person's genuine interest and values. Their why. They call forward our personal enjoyment. You can imagine what have to goals call forward. And if you can't call forward a want to, then they could be a sign that we need to change something. I thought this was pretty important. She says, 
A mind that is open to growth and change is a hub from which values and goals can be brought to life and realized. There is tremendous empowerment in appointing ourselves the agent of our life, in taking ownership of our own development, career, creative spirit, work, and connections. And she adds this, Emotional agility is about getting on with life. It involves moving toward clarity, challenging, yet achievable goals that you pursue not because you think you have to or because you've been told to, but because you want to, because they're important to you. I think in her book, and outlining the four essential aspects of emotional agility, Susan David is teaching us to be real. So I'd like to share with you an excerpt from the book, because I love this book. I really love it, and it means a lot for me to share it with you. So I hope you'll like it. Here it goes. When the story opens, the rabbit is having a hard time fitting in with his owner's other toys. The little boy, to who the rabbit belongs, lost interest in him shortly after receiving him. And the other toys, many of them have modern mechanical parts that make them seem and act real, intimidate the rabbit. After all, he is made of cloth and sawdust, and hardly looks like a real bunny at all. The rabbit eventually finds a friend in the wise old skin horse who has lived in the nursery for longer than any of the other toys. What is real? The rabbit asks the skin horse one day. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you are made says the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? The rabbit asks. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, Most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. The skin horse goes on to tell his story about the boy's uncle making him real a great many years ago. And the rabbit sighed. He thought it would be a long time before this magic called real happened to him. 
He longed to become real, to know what it felt like. And yet the idea of growing shabby and losing his eyes and whiskers was rather sad. He wished that he could become it without these uncomfortable things happening to him. One night, the little boy can't find his favorite china dog to sleep with, so his nanny grabs the velveteen rabbit out of the toy cupboard and tucks him in with the master. After that, the boy becomes inseparably attached to the rabbit, hugging him tightly in bed, covering the rabbit's pink nose with kisses and taking him everywhere. The boy even brings him to play in the garden and once accidentally leaves him outside all night. Through it all, the rabbit becomes increasingly grimy and threadbare. Eventually, the pink begins to rub off his nose. At one point, the nanny tries to take the now filthy toy away, but the boy protests that the rabbit has to stay, insisting that he's real, which is, of course, music to the rabbit's satiny, but now shop-worn ears. Eventually, the velveteen rabbit meets the nursery fairy who asks him, Little rabbit, don't you know who I am? I am the nursery magic fairy, she said. I take care of all the playthings that the children have loved when they are old and worn out and the children don't need them anymore. Then I come and take them away with me and turn them into real. Wasn't I real before? asked the little rabbit. You were real to the boy, the fairy said, because he loved you. Now you shall be real to everyone. And on that note, we'll end today's episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening today, and we sure hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join our public Facebook group, Girl Take the Lead, or visit our website, girltaketheleadpod.com. We also have a YouTube channel where your subscription would be appreciated. Once you're on YouTube, search at Girl Take the Lead. Here are the three takeaways from the episode. One. Emotional agility is the absence of pretense and performance, which gives our actions greater power because they come from our own core values, not someone else's. Two, it takes courage to appoint ourselves as our agent for our own life. It involves embracing a new identity and releasing narratives that no longer serve us. Three, We reach that level of being real, like the Velveteen Rabbit, that level of emotional agility, not through magic, but through a series of steps in everyday moments over the course of a lifetime. By the way, I thought you'd like to know a few facts about the book, The Velveteen Rabbit. Marjorie Williams, the author, was an English-American author born on July 22, 1881. 
in London, England, and is best known for The Velveteen Rabbit, which she published in 1922. And she continued to write throughout her life, exploring all kinds of genres and themes. And she passed away on September 4th, 1944, in New York City at the age of 63. Her legacy lives on through The Velveteen Rabbit, which has remained a cherished classic in children's literature for over a century. Gosh, and it's still one I love very much. Susan David has so many more amazing things to say about emotional agility. And one theme is emotional agility at work that I'll cover as a soundbite. Stay tuned. More to come on that. I'm also looking forward to sharing Melody Wilding's book, Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. Talk to you soon. Bye.